Well, good day, everyone. It's Wesley here from Business Blessings, and we are up to episode eight of Sacrificial Succession Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, today's title is Preparing for Who, and we have Paul Rattray with us again. Paul, so good to see you again. That's great to be here. I, I, we're just chatting before. I'm loving these podcasts. <laughs> I am learning so much myself as we go through it. I hope that our listeners are picking up that enthusiasm as well. Paul, you start off uh, today with Matthew eleven eleven. Whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What a scripture. But, uh, yeah. That's a powerful one uh, because the context is the disciples are talking or arguing among themselves, um, you know, about who, who's better, you know, who's, who's greater. Uh, I think we all do that in our head. We may not necessarily verbalize it, but we compare ourselves to others. You know, he or she is better at that than me. I wonder if I'm as good as that person at this, you know, Um, and it, you know, it gets in your head. (laughs) It does, but. But who's putting that in our head? <laughs> like, you know, sometimes I think the enemy is putting those little things in there. to stop Sometimes, you know, but I think also our own human nature does a pretty good job of yeah. um, doing that as well, you know, and that's uh, it's fears uh, that we have about our own abilities. It's then comparing ourselves to someone else um, and, you know, they're better than me or I'm better than them. I Yeah, um, and I think that, the point Jesus is making is that, um, hey, the only way that we can really enter the kingdom of God, which is right here, it's not just about heaven, but it happens right here, is that we need to be the least. Yes, 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 exactly. Well, Jesus and John the Baptist were prime examples of this too. Cousins, uh, John's ministry was incredible. He really he fulfilled the prophecies of preparing the way, but um, he had to step aside for Jesus as well. Like this is a huge thing. He did, and I don't know about you, but I I often you know think about what if he didn't? Ah. You know what if. Um, John the Baptist said, you know, because he says about Jesus, he says, I must decrease so he can increase, or other versions says, he must, I must decrease, he must increase. Um, What if he said, well, I don't want to. I don't need to. Um, What if Joseph said, I don't want to care for this kid (laughs) you know i don't want to marry mary um you know human history would be different and another another person i think about too and perhaps the parable of the vineyard workers is very relevant to that person you know paul the apostle himself says you know i was the last and least and i was unnaturally born Um, what if Peter said when they got to that discussion about, well, Paul, you go to the Gentiles because that's your calling and I'll focus on the Jews. What if Peter said, hey, I'm the rock. 
You're not. Um, I'm not handing over leadership to you. I'm the boss. Um, you know, there's a good chance Paul would not have been successful or that there would have been a massive split that would have caused all sorts of dissension and strife and conflict. And it wasn't because both men, in a sense, were willing to humble themselves um, and accept the calling and the mantle of leadership that was given to them. Paul, this is a key part of sacrificial success, isn't it? Is actually where our heart is at, where our obedience is at, where our humility is at. Absolutely, because um, none of this happens naturally. I'm sorry, Robert Greenleaf and the servant leader (laughs) uh, who says that it's a natural inclination to serve. I don't agree. I don't think we have a natural inclination to serve. It's an intention um, to to serve and to put ourselves as the last and least and to help someone else to become greater than us. Uh, I don't think it happened by accident with um, John the Baptist. Um, He did that very intentionally. And I always find it (laughs) fascinating when... uh, John the Baptist, uh, presumably he was in prison by that point. Um, I think he had a lot of doubts. I think he was really concerned about his situation. He had a pretty good idea he wasn't coming out again. He sent his disciples to Jesus and asked them, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one in a sense that I've prepared the way for? Yes. Jesus's response to me is amazing. He says, uh, there's no man born of a woman greater than John the Baptist. But then he goes on to say, yet anyone who is like this is um, greater than he. So, you know, I've often thought, well, what does that mean? Uh, My assumption is it's because John was willing to decrease and humble himself and put himself last. That's what made him the greatest. And anyone who does that in the kingdom is greater than John. Just like Jesus said later on, you will do greater things than me. No one's greater than Jesus, but he said you will do greater things. He didn't say you you will be greater than me. You will do greater things than me. Because why? Because I'm returning to the Father. Unless I change my role unless I become a substitute, unless I sacrifice, unless I become the sustainer in Christ's role through the Holy Spirit, you won't do greater things than me. And that's a really important principle for what we're talking about here. You know, Paul, we're talking about John the Baptist. We're talking about Jesus. You know, they were prophesied about thousands of years before. And, you know, they'll probably be sitting there and um, during their training in the ways, you know, they would have read the word. And I don't know whether God spoke to them and said, Hey, this is who you are. But, you know, people could say, Hey, but hang on. They were prophesied for this is going to happen. God had an agenda. God had a purpose for that. Um, But yet they still had to, and it's, it's kind of, you touched a bit on this before they still had to submit themselves to God, to work with God and to be obedient to him. 
Absolutely. And, there, and there's also practicalities here um, that we need to keep in mind. Um, Moses was also raised up by God. Yeah. And he was prophesied about. He was the leader. Um, and yet because he disobeyed God's voice, he didn't make it into uh, Canaan. He didn't make it into the promised land. And I often think again, a little bit like what we were talking earlier about people like John the Baptist and Peter and Paul. Um, what if Moses had not prepared Joshua and Caleb? God wasn't going to change his mind and say, oh, well, uh, I'm, I don't really like what you did, but because there's no one to replace you, you just go into Canaan anyway. Yeah. No. God had already made that decision when uh, Moses broke uh, and his rules and didn't obey. And yet what I find is that, practically speaking, Moses in some ways, I believe, was a better leader than Joshua because Joshua didn't prepare successors. Right. So Caleb, much later into the book of Judges, is the one that takes the lead again, probably when he shouldn't have, or perhaps he did because there was no one else. Um, I believe Joshua should have learned from Moses and should have prepared people who could continue the work that he didn't finish, let's be honest. Well, I guess Moses had some people who came alongside him and said, hey, you've got to change this. Like I think of the interaction he had with Jeffro, his father-in-law, he said, Moses, don't be stupid. <laughs> you know, look at what you're doing. You need to change this. It's not working. Yeah. And uh, the, the interesting thing I find is that uh, Jethro um, or Ruel is his other name, as well as um, Moses' um, brother-in-law, his name was Hobab. Um, Moses referred to Hobab as uh, you, you are my eyes in the desert. Um, now, God was leading him by day and night, and yet Moses understood the practicalities of people who could provide him with the local intelligence that he needed, the management skills uh, and organisational skills that he didn't have or needed to learn. So to me, it's really pertinent because we need to understand that uh, both uh, Jethro as well as Hobab, it says, they went back to their own land, even though uh, Moses offered them a portion in the promised land. You know, come with us, he said. They went back to their own land, which suggests to me, I, I don't read too much into it, but it suggests to me that in a sense they could be a type of unbelievers in the sense of they're people of peace, they're supporters of what's happening, but they're not going to go over into Canaan with them, and yet Moses valued their input. And we've learned through our projects, I've learned uh, through the projects that I've run, that some of the most valuable intelligence, advice, an input has come from people who are actually potentially our enemies. Yeah. Um, but they were people of peace who believed in what we were doing, believed in us, and they gave incredibly sound advice that if we hadn't taken it, we probably wouldn't have done as well as we did. 
you know, Paul, this reminds me that a leader can't do it all by themselves. Like, th- there's always a team of people around them. And yes, someone may ha- have that title or that position, but they're, they're not anything without those others that are around them that are providing input or, or simply doing the work too. Yeah. And, you know, Jesus modelled this, you know, surprise, surprise, perfectly. Yes. <laughs> but, um, you know, when he was attacked by the Pharisees, he didn't say, I said, you know, I'm saying this. This yeah. is, he was saying, I only say what my father yeah. tells me to say. Yeah. And so this is why it's so important in uh, what I've written and what I've learned is that the need to have trustees, I don't necessarily mean that in the legal sense, but people who are entrusted and invested in us who can give us sound advice so that what we're saying is not just what came to my mind or heart or what I think is right, but I've got the whole organisation that I'm working with. Um, They're behind me. They support what I'm doing. You know, I could have never have done what I've shared about in the countries. Uh, these are hard places to work and operate. If I hadn't had the support of my leadership and hadn't had the support of the people in country where there were many, many hostile parties, you know, intent on trying to stop us or destroy us. So you combine that with that time with the father, that in that secret place where all this is going on, but you still need to withdraw like Jesus did and said, okay, God, this is what's going on. Speak to me about all this as well. So it all works together, doesn't it? It does. And if you're not doing this with others and you're relying even just on yourself and God. Now, yes, there are some situations where that's the only option you have, but there are very few options uh, where you don't have the opportunity to be able to consult with others, to work together and really, uh, you know, think and pray through something so that you make uh, a wise decision and you know as solomon says you don't capture a city on your own you know you've got to do it together with wise men and women this is one of the lessons i've learned over the years is if god tells you to do something he's not just telling you he's telling others as well because it's not it's not it's not about you it's really it's like it's just like i I continue to be humbled about some of the things that that God has spoken to me about and you go and do it, but then you sit back and, you know, maybe a year down the track or something and you see the impact that it's had on other people, but you think, but hang on, I was just obedient to what God told me to do, but my obedience actually encouraged others to be obedient and for them to fulfill their purpose and all sorts of connections and things happen as a result. And, and, so, which is very humbling. And it's also humbling when you leave an organization and you watch the organization continue to go on and you think, you know, it's as if I was never there. <laughs> you know, that's a, you know, yeah. 
Yeah, and we, we often say in, in our project work, uh, you know, is to leave a very shallow footprint. Yeah. Now, that's the vision that we have. Uh, if people don't remember who we are, that's fine. Yeah. As long yeah. as the successes that we have are able to keep that organisation going and growing, uh, we don't mind uh, if people don't remember who we are at all. In fact, we're quite happy with that. I, I had a story last week of a guy I met with who said that when he was, like he's in his 70s now, I think, but when he was young, he was invited to be a pastor of a church. Um, they were meeting in a hall that um, purchased two blocks of land, but it was only two small blocks of land and they were getting lots of opposition about it. And he thought, you know, this isn't right. And God led him to a, uh, a seven acre block of land, which I able to build. And he said, it was really tough to like, we were weekend warriors building this church. He said, but I look at that church now. And he said, they've built, they bought another 13 acres. They now have a school on there of 2000 students in it. And this church is growing. He said, no one would have any idea that it was me who bought that original land. And, and I, I listened to, like, he wasn't bragging to me about it. He was just saying, this is just an example of how God has used me through my life. I step in, I do this, and then I step out. And, and yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, and, I mean, that is a really good point. In some cases, you know, because we're talking about succession and legacy and continuation, there are some cases where something is actually meant to die in a sense. Yeah. And it's not meant to continue. Yeah. And that requires wisdom as well to try and sustain or maintain something that is actually not meant to continue is just as bad as not being prepared for something to continue. Yeah. So that's part of what's, you know, really important about vision. Your strategic vision needs to be clear about whether something is meant to end or whether something is meant to continue, because we always ask that question, you know, in our projects about three years out before we are going to finish a project is we ask our country leaders, do you want this project to continue or do you want this project to end? Because the answer to that is absolutely uh, critical to us planning how to transition and how to hand over. Um, and it might be a combination. You know, we decided in the case of East Timor, for example, that we would separate a number of entities, which was, I've got to say, um, not well received by the country leadership at the time. Uh, they were very strongly opposed to it. They wanted to keep everything um, integrated together. And I said, look, I said, we came here to plant churches. And I said, we have businesses. We have, a, <laughs> excuse me, a radio station. We have a training school. We have a children's school. At one time, we were the largest computer training organization in East Timor. What I said to them was, is at the end of the day, if everything fell apart, the only thing that is important is that the church, it's through the church 
that the manifold's wisdom of God is made known. Yeah. Not through the radio station, not through the training school. Yes, it plays a part, but if we tie them together, it could be that something falls over that's not the church that causes the church then to fall over as well. And so we separated those entities with much opposition, I've got to say. Um, it was my call, my decision, and, you know, by God's grace, we've seen the, the church grow and grow and continue to grow. And most of the other entities, apart from the training organisation, which, again, was not well received initially, we need to let that die. That's finished. Let's try and sustain the others. And we've done so. Yeah. That's a big thing. Paul, one of the things I really wanted to talk and uh, talk about today is you say the key to greatness in God's kingdom is willing to be the last and the least. You do this by preparing the way for others to know him, which is evangelism, help them grow to maturity in him, which is discipleship, and sacrificially hand over leadership to successors who can multiply the movement succession. So often we think about the evangelism part or the discipleship part, and we, we see them as two separate things. And then succession is something that you don't even consider. But, but you're looking at them in a continuum really along the way that, that we, um, like in, look, I love my evangelistic friends, you know, who are out there, they're telling me how many people get saved, all this stuff. I, I'm not having you either. But there's a bigger picture, and that's what you're trying to say here, isn't there? It's not just about getting them to say a prayer. It's about walking with them in discipleship. And then it's about, well, actually, we need to plan to succession of this as well. Yeah, it's, it's, a, much bigger, it's a much bigger picture because it's not just thinking about the number of children that we produce, but it's thinking... You know, with discipleship, we're thinking about the family. How do we grow them to maturity? You know, we want our, if we use the analogy of children, we want our children to grow into mature, you know, adults who can contribute to the community and society. But we also need to think very uh, clearly about how do we hand over leadership? Now, that may not necessarily apply in our families, situation perhaps discipleship is the point where they've got to maturity and where and that's our job done they can continue on but if it's an organization that we want to continue with the vision that we have then we need to be preparing people who can continue that work and we've found in all of our projects where that's been done in very difficult circumstances, I might add, as well as with people who would not be your natural choice of successors because we've invested in them, worked with them. We've seen great success. Of course, there are failures, but we've seen great success in sustaining and growing that work. And if you don't think about it and you don't do anything about it, then it's like the situation uh, with an organisation that um, I've been involved with supporting um, where the leader has just died of COVID. Uh, and their prayer is, please pray with us because we have no one to replace him. Uh, what a shame. 
that yeah. they didn't have someone that he had been working with for at least three or four years. He's gone a lot longer than that, his ministry, that he could have handed over at that time. It's tragic, absolutely yeah. tragic. Yeah. <clears throat> but Sally, that's that's not an uncommon story. Well, it's normal, but it's, <laughs> it's, not, it's still tragic. I know, and, um, like, you know, we've got some pretty big examples of this. Like in the Christian world, there's Robert Shuler, like huge, like what he did with Crystal Cathedral was incredible. A TV program all around the world, millions of people buying his books, like, and I could go on and on and on, but it all crumbled because succession wasn't correct. Yeah. Uh, I use that example in the book. Um, Cause to me, it's tragic whether you agree or disagree with, you know, the man, he was, and, you know, he was an incredible mover and shaker, very influential. And, you know, I'm not, like I said to you earlier, I'm not in, too into buildings and baubles, but, I mean, that was a magnificent building. And yet, you know, in his case, because he didn't prepare someone to take over, there was a whole lot of angst within the family, as I understand it, uh, obviously within the church or within the organisation, it collapsed. They went bankrupt. It's The building is now in other organisations' hands. Um, and, you know, to me it's a tragic example, unless, of course, it was met, intended to die. Yes. But if it was intended to die, my assumption is that they would have handled it very differently. Yes, yes. You know? I'm sure bankruptcy was not the intention. No. And so, you know, to me, it's just a really tragic example of a great man and a great ministry and a fantastic organisation at the time falling down because there was no successor prepared. Well, and sadly, like, it became the butt of media jokes and, like, you know, it was, like, the the tragedy of it was exposed around the world, which is which is a very sad part of that about that. As yeah, well. oh, it's terrible. The other one that we're seeing play out before our eyes at the moment is what's happening in South Africa. I mean, FWD Clerk did an amazing thing in the transition to Nelson Mandela. Um, that is probably one of the most successful transitions of power that we've it seen. It is, yeah, it is. I, I see two elements there, Wes. Um, you know, we often applaud and rightly uh, F.W. de Klerk for his humility and his he, he was willing to be the last and least in in allowing Nelson Mandela to take over. But I think equally, and I talk about this a little in the book, um, is this mutual humility. Um, Nelson Mandela could have also handled that transition of power very differently because we only have to look at his successors to see how they've handled um, the situation in South Africa. Um, so it requires mutual humility. You know, the greater man to start the process was F.W. de Klerk. Um, he could have said no. He said, no, we'll fight it out. But he handed over in humility and I believe Nelson Mandela received that mantle of leadership in humility, which unfortunately uh, their successors, you'd have to say, 
have not done. And we look at, like I, I haven't actually been watching the news too much, but but I've been seeing all the stuff come up on my Facebook page from those who are from Zimbabwe and South Africa and just horrified at what is happening there at the moment, the way um, yeah, things are going on. So it's, it, it, um, we may think that this doesn't have much consequence, but it does have a lot of consequences for people down the track. Well, it does. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're looking at this happen on a national scale. Um, another example I use in the book is the collapse of Fannie Mae, the financial uh, institution in the US, and the um, poor succession um, uh, in that organization, which may well, some argue, tipped the balance in terms of the global financial crisis. Uh, we've just talked about uh, the situation in South Africa. And of course, we mentioned Robert Schuller. Uh, they're all examples where a poor choice of successor or none has meant absolute crisis. Um, and that's on a national scale, but we could easily look at that on a local scale or, or an organisation like Robert Schuller's, um, you know, right into a small business. It's tragic. Yeah. Well, look, and I, I think I said before, I've been on 13 different boards in my life, which I don't know whether it's a good or bad thing. And I've watched three of those organisations collapse, uh, sadly, um, and uh, where we thought we'd done transition right in a church I was on the board of, sadly, that decimated the church after through choosing, through not choosing well the right successor. It looked like it was good, but sadly, we went from went from a church of 300 down to 80, and a lot of those people haven't gone to church again. As a result of that, the pain is still very palpable in people's lives. So, so this there is tangible um, things for both if it's done well and if it's not done well, probably if it's, if it's done well, you, it just, you don't really yeah. know. <laughs> you often don't notice when things are done well, but boy, yeah. you notice it when, when they're not. <laughs> it, um, you know, you asked you a question here, who are you preparing for yourself or others? And it, it's fascinating. I've had a discussion this morning with someone who is a, a lady in her seventies, uh, who's not married, doesn't have kids. Um, but I said to her, you know, what is, what is your succession plan? You know, and, and often you wouldn't think about that, but I said, you know, you have significant wealth. She's got a house that's worth quite a lot of money. She's got a strong income stream coming in. And so I just challenged her to spend some time in thinking, what is your legacy? What's, what's your succession plan? I'm not saying you're going to die, <laughs> you know, but it's to have thoughts about that. And um, is it funny as we've been, um, you know, end of tax year, we've been just getting all our tax stuff together, ready to go to the account and get everything done. And um, I've changed the way we're managing our personal finances to actually treat it. I was listening to someone say, you've got to treat your own finances like a personal corporation. So I've actually set up the same accounting stuff that I do for us individually as I do for our business. Uh, so, okay, here's the budget. We're going to do actual invariance reports every month and stuff like this. And, and I've been, it's actually had me thinking about, well, what is the legacy that I want to leave behind? Like, yes, it's leave behind for my kids and see them financially established, but we're also doing very practical things to get them financially established themselves that they don't have to rely on 
an inheritance from us. I want them to be able to do that. But but what's going to happen to our wealth? You know, where is it going to go? I mean, I'm not saying that we've got a lot. Well, but actually, one thing that has to me is that I put it all together in one place. You realize that it's actually a lot more than what you think. And um, so these things have been going around. Paul, you, you're, you're screwing my brain with all this stuff. <laughs> That's because it's like, you know, as we started this journey, I thought, okay, well, this is what it's about. But actually, this has huge implications for all areas of our life. What does it, yeah, it look does. like moving forward? <laughs> yes. It does. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the ladies that edited some early versions of um, my book, uh she had a small family at the time and she said, you know, this is just as, and, she, and a business. She had both. She said, this is just as applicable to my business as it is to my family. She yeah. said, it's amazing. You know, like it's opened my mind and, and heart to think about this with regard to my kids as well. You look at some of the, um, some of the largest businesses around the world, their family run businesses there's family and i will get to family dynasties i know down the track and and your thoughts on that but you know there are like some of these families have had huge impact in i think i so like we talked about um jethro moses father-in-law before and and i've been teaching someone who's a descendant of moses's father-in-law and so i'm thinking man that's quite uh <laughs> like you know it, it's just kind of brought home to think hang on this man's impact is this man is still having an impact today through his gender. And that family is very influential in the Middle East uh, still. And that DNA has been passed down. That succession stuff has been passed down. You know, could we say in a hundred years, 200 years, 300 years that our children, you know, that, that blessing of God from generation to generation, but we need, we need to be much more intentional about that. Yeah, we do. And oh, we'll talk a little bit more about this in, in more detail depth a little later on but it really made me appreciate a little bit more to be honest whenever i've read the genealogies in the bible i found them boring yes. I'll, I'll be honest yes <laughs> um but i realized once we started working in the project where we're handing over to successors we need to know who they are we need to know who the next generation is and the next generation and the next generation and the previous generation. It's actually important to know them by name, you know, not just by number. Numbers are important, but names are important. And so I got a really, uh, a whole new appreciation, I've got to say, for those portions of the Bible that talk about genealogies and, and, and they're so important obviously, because they're in there. And yet I didn't appreciate them before until I had to think about succession in terms of these are actual people, actual generations, and it's a continuation. We talked about Joseph before. If Joseph wasn't in that line, Jesus would have never been accepted. Like, it's, it's amazing to think of it. Like, I mean, there's a it shows the goodness for God for setting up those things, but the importance of this as well. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Paul, we could go on and on and on <laughs> talking about this, but I trust that uh, for those that are listening, that, that this is getting you to think, because really that's 
I guess one of the main things that we're trying to achieve here is for you to actually start to think about what does succession look like um, in your business, in your ministry, in your family, and to take time to plan and prepare for this because it yeah. has significant yeah. impact. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, to let, let's be practical here. Um, what I talked about with some of the guys that I'm mentoring in China was um, let's put a list together. Yeah. You know, like if you're not preparing for yourself and you're preparing for someone else, who is that? Yeah. Like, have you got it? Let's write a list down. Write a list of the people that you believe have potential. And if you are a follower of Christ, pray about it. But we can also use our human wisdom, but we do have to be careful. But who's, who is someone that we can put on that list? And let's put the person on, if we've got a few, on the top of the list at number one, the person who is the most service orientated yes. and sacrifice orientated. That's a really good start. Yeah. Um, let's do that. You know, so next week, I think it is, I catch up with those guys over Zoom. So their homework is come to me with a list yeah. of names, real people. And then I want to hear about them. If you can't tell me anything about them, you don't know them well enough to make a judgment. Yeah. I, I could say <laughs> this has really got me fired up. It's really good. Well, thank you so Paul, so much, Paul, for today. We have got a bit over time, but but I think the the implications of this are, are actually huge. Um, and like we said before, if it if it doesn't work, it has big implications. If it does work, it has huge implications as well. We just probably don't unaware of those as well so thank you so much thank you and we look forward to seeing you next week okay bye